Hello, everyone. I'm Warren Smith in Charlotte, North Carolina. And I'm Christina Darnell in for Natasha Smith, also coming to you from Charlotte, North Carolina. And we'd like to welcome you to the Ministry Watch podcast. Each week, Ministry Watch brings you news about Christian ministries, as well as the latest in charity and philanthropy, news that we examine from a Christian worldview perspective. Our goal is to help us become better stewards of the resources God has entrusted to us. On today's program, we take a look at the cottage industry that has grown up to fight sex trafficking. Anti-sex trafficking organizations raise more than $150 million a year in the U.S. Where does all that money go? Plus, Canacook Ministries demands that Ministry Watch retract three stories that we wrote about them. I'll share our response at the end of the program. We begin today with more shakeups at Liberty University. Yeah, the son of former Liberty University President Jerry Falwell Jr. has left the school, vacating his post as vice president of university operations roughly eight months after his father resigned in the wake of a scandal. A spokesman for Liberty confirmed the news, first reported Wednesday, April the 14th, by Politico, that Trey Falwell was no longer employed by the school. The departure comes months after Falwell Jr. resigned as president of the school in the wake of controversial posts on social media and allegations that he and his wife, Becky Falwell, had a years-long sexual relationship with a business associate. Allegations, I should add, that Jerry Falwell Jr. has disputed. Well, and this announcement isn't the only staff change at Liberty this week. Yeah, less than a week ago, Liberty announced that Jonathan Falwell, who is Jerry Falwell Jr.'s brother and the senior pastor of Thomas Road Baptist Church will replace David Nasser as the university's campus pastor at the end of the current school semester. Also, a couple of weeks ago, Ministry Watch reported that Charlie Kirk, a conservative activist who co-founded Liberty's politically-minded think tank known as the Falkirk Center with Jerry Falwell Jr., has also ended his affiliation with the school. Both Falwell Jr. and Kirk are now out, and the center has changed its name to the Standing for Freedom Center. Other members of the Falwell family are also employed by the school, but Liberty declined to comment on their employment status to Politico, saying that officials do not answer questions about personnel. Our next story involves InterVarsity Christian Fellowship and a religious liberty battle in Michigan. Yeah, a federal court has ruled that InterVarsity Christian Fellowship has the right to permanently remain a sanctioned club at Wayne State University in Michigan. The Michigan Public University declined in 2017 to renew InterVarsity's designation as a registered student organization after deciding that InterVarsity's policy, which required group leaders to be Christians, was discriminatory. That decertification meant that the group would have to pay about $100 in rental fees every time it wanted to have a meeting on campus and would be excluded from other benefits given to registered clubs. But InterVarsity, which was represented by the Beckett Fund for Religious Liberty, now just called Beckett sued the university, as well as then-Governor Richard Snyder and the Attorney General uh, Bill Shute in March of 2018. 
claiming religious discrimination and violation of its First Amendment rights. InterVarsity dropped the case against Snyder and Shute after they acknowledged that Michigan universities did, in fact, need to respect the rights of religious student groups to choose their own leadership. The university then decided to recertify the group, saying that it would not intervene in InterVarsity's future leadership selection process. So if InterVarsity dropped the suit back in 2018, what did this new decision accomplish? Well, Beckett then, after the suit was dropped, asked the court to permanently prevent Wayne State from removing InterVarsity from its campus and to award damages. And in a decision that came down on April the 5th, Judge Robert Cleland of the U.S. District Court for the Eastern District of Michigan permanently prohibited the Michigan Public University from revoking InterVarsity status based on the group's religious requirement for its students. And Wayne State was ordered to pay damages, but it was only a nominal $1. Warren, over the past year, we've reported about Hillsong a lot here at Ministry Watch, and now we have a new story. Yeah, Brian Houston is the co-founder of the global megachurch Hillsong, and he announced in an email last Saturday that the church's leadership had decided to pause all operations, those were the words used in the email, uh, at its Dallas, Texas location. Back in January, Reed and Jess Bogard, who were the lead pastors of the Dallas location, abruptly resigned in a streaming Sunday morning service. In announcing the decision, Reed Bogard said that he and his wife and co-pastor needed to take some time to, in their words, get healthy and really see what this next season holds for us. At the time, Brian Houston praised the work of the Bogard, saying that the couple gave their heart and soul to the pioneering of Hillsong Dallas. But the lack of permanent leadership, the pandemic, and other factors have since led Hillsong to shut down or at least temporarily pause the Dallas location. Well, and really, Warren, the indefinite pausing of Hillsong Dallas is just the latest in a series of scandals and transitions and just general turmoil facing that church. Yeah, that's right. In November, uh, Hillsong, New York City, uh, lead pastor Carl Lentz was fired for moral failings, including at least one extramarital affair. Uh, But a subsequently leaked phone call between Brian Houston and global church leadership revealed that there was a much deeper rift between Carl Lentz and Houston. I should also mention that the Bogards were on staff uh, with Carl Lentz at the New York Hillsong location before moving to Dallas, and recent reports suggest that the Bogards may have brought some of the New York operation's bad habits with them to Dallas. Warren, before we go to break, an update on another story that we've been covering here at Ministry Watch for a year or so. Yeah, a trial date has finally been set for Nason Joaquim Garcia, who is the leader of a Mexico-based megachurch. That church is called La Luz del Mundo, who is facing a number of sex abuse charges. Uh, A Superior Court judge on Monday said that uh, a trial date for Garcia 
would be September 27. That's according to California Attorney General's office and a statement from La Luz del Mundo. In August of 2020, the bail was set for Garcia at $90 million. He faces counts of forcible rape and forcible oral copulation with a minor, human trafficking, and possession of child pornography. The church has maintained Garcia's innocence and, in the statement on Monday, said that it believed that uh, he was not getting due process, among other reasons, because his bail was set so high. That $90 million number is, in fact, huge. But prosecutors say that Garcia has massive financial resources and is a flight risk. Warren, we've got to take a break, but more stories when we come back. I'm Christina Darnell, along with my co-host, Warren Smith, and we'll be back after this short break. Hello, everyone. I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro-life movement by serving and valuing every life. Save the Storks partners with pregnancy centers all across the U.S. to own and operate a stork bus to offer free ultrasounds and pregnancy tests to women in unplanned pregnancies. Stork buses park near college campuses, abortion clinics, shopping centers, and serve rural communities that lack medical care. Save the Storks is pleased to be the sponsor of the Ministry Watch podcast. For more information about our life-saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to savethestorks.com. That's savethestorks.com. Welcome back. I'm Christina Darnell in for Natasha Smith, along with my co-host Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Let's continue with the story of a million-dollar embezzlement at a church. Yeah, the former business manager of a Pittsburgh church was sentenced to 30 months in federal prison on April 6th uh, related to tax charges, and those tax charges uh, related themselves to a $1.2 million embezzlement case. David Earl Ryder was also ordered to pay restitution of about $1.4 million to the Internal Revenue Service. Ryder had previously pleaded guilty to state charges in connection with the theft and is currently serving a sentence of five to 10 years in state prison. He'll serve the federal sentence concurrently, but he'll be transferred into federal custody for the next 30 months before then returning to the state prison to serve out the remainder of that state sentence. Ryder's wife, Connie Jo Ryder, is also serving three years probation after pleading no contest to state charges of felony receiving stolen property and conspiracy to receive stolen property, both in connection with the same embezzlement. And we have another story involving financial fraud, and this one, too, is from Pennsylvania. Yeah, a woman who called herself the bishop of a Pennsylvania ministry that claimed to offer faith-based services was sentenced to 12 years in prison on April 5th following a 2019 conviction for abusing church members and forcing them to participate in a scheme that defrauded hotels of tens of thousands of dollars. Tracy Dickey of Pittsburgh was the founder and leader of an organization called Deliverance Tabernacle Ministries, which had operations not just in Pennsylvania, but in North Carolina and Florida as well. She also claimed to operate a travel agency known as World Ambassador Travel. Right. And this travel agency is an important part of the fraud. 
Yeah, it really is. And in fact, you know, if it wasn't fraudulent and wrong, it would actually be kind of interesting, Christina. The attorney's office said that Dickey uh, recruited young women uh, to become members of the ministry, but then got them jobs as desk clerks at local hotels. She then had them redirect unearned reservation commissions to her travel agency. The hotel scheme resulted in at least $66,000 in fraudulent proceeds, and evidence from the trial showed that Dickey also collected and kept hundreds of thousands of dollars of wages that were earned by these women, uh, and also that she had emotionally and physically abused them using tactics that included starvation, humiliation, and threats that God would harm their families if they didn't follow her rules. Now, U.S. District Judge Sarah Ellis imposed a 12-year sentence uh, in federal court. Warren, we've written a lot about the Museum of the Bible over the past year, and this week we've got another story, this one about an allegedly stolen prayer book. Yeah, an Afghan official told Religion Unplugged, one of our sister publications, that the country, Afghanistan, plans to repatriate various ancient artifacts that they believe were looted from the National Museum in the 1990s during a civil war there, including a medieval Hebrew prayer book that is now in the Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C. The claim is the latest in a series of scandals that have been troubling the Museum of the Bible since its 2017 opening. So what's the backstory on this one? Yeah, it's also a pretty interesting story, um, uh, if it wasn't so sad. Uh, following the outbreak of Afghanistan Civil War in 1992, uh, the museum there, the National Museum, was repeatedly shelled. It suffered heavy damage. The combination of Taliban mortars and then looters who were able to easily enter the museum resulted in the loss of about 70% of the 100,000 artifacts that are in in the museum's collection, or were in the collection. Those pilfered artifacts then flooded the antiquities markets in Paris, London, New York, and elsewhere around the world. Now there's a pro-Western regime in Afghanistan. President Ashraf Ghani Ahmadzai, formerly an anthropology professor himself at Johns Hopkins University here in the United States, wants its cultural legacy returned. Among those treasures that it is seeking back is uh, uh, that $1,200 Siddur, or prayer book, uh, the world's oldest Hebrew manuscript aside from the Dead Sea Scrolls. So is the Museum of the Bible going to give it back? Well, I should say in fairness to the Museum of the Bible that they have been very cooperative with repatriating uh, artifacts to their rightful owners whenever they have discovered problems or in removing from the collection uh, artifacts that have turned out to be fraudulent, and there have been a few of those as well. But they claim that they paid $2.5 million for this particular artifact and that they have reliable provenance saying that it had been a part of a British museum collection for decades uh, at the time that the Afghans claimed that it was looted. In fact, they say it's been in the museum since the 1950s. So there is still some negotiating left to do. Warren, let's look at one more story before the break, and that's a story by Shannon Cuthrell about what we might call the anti-human trafficking industry. 
Yeah, that's right. As some of our listeners and regular Ministry Watch readers know, we've written with some skepticism about the anti-human trafficking industry over the past year. Some of the organizations are engaged in activities such as paying ransoms or providing goods and services for the release of hostages, which uh, some people say amounts to a ransom. Some of the groups also make claims that are impossible to verify about the number of people who are being trafficked worldwide and the number of people that they are rescuing. At the same time, they're using these stories to raise tens of millions of dollars every year. In fact, we think that the total raised by anti-human trafficking organizations in the U.S. alone likely exceeds $150 million. So I asked Shannon Cuthrell and Rod Pitzer, uh, two of our uh, freelance staffers, to dig into the industry and just report some basic facts. Who are the major players? How much money do they take in? Where does the money go? And that's the first article in what we now think is going to be a series on the organizations in this industry. Okay, well, can you give us a few factoids to whet our appetite? (laughs) Well, sure. Yeah, the international human trafficking trade is a notoriously tough business to track, but the United Nations' most recent global report on trafficking in persons said that there were about 49,000 detected victims in 148 countries in the year 2018. Roughly 50% of those victims were trafficked for sexual exploitation, 38% for forced labor, and 6% were forced into doing criminal activity. At the same time, only about 9,000 suspects were investigated or arrested, uh, with about 7,000, a little more than 7,000 traffickers prosecuted, uh, 3,500 convicted. So there's, it is a big industry. We're just not exactly sure how big and what kind of an impact these anti-human trafficking organizations are really having over and above what law enforcement is doing. And Rod and Shannon were able to document that just the top six organizations reported more than $150 million in revenue, which is where that earlier number that I mentioned came from. The largest of these organizations, of course, is International Justice Mission, which accounted for nearly half of that total. You can find that story along with all the other stories we're discussing today at ministrywatch.com. Warren, we're going to take another break, and when we return, our weekly lightning round of Ministry News of the Week. Plus, Ministry Watch responds to demands from Kennecook Ministries. I'm Christina Darnell with my co-host Warren Smith. More in a moment. Hello, everyone. I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro-life movement by serving and valuing every life. Save the Storks partners with pregnancy centers all across the U.S. to own and operate a stork bus to offer free ultrasounds and pregnancy tests to women in unplanned pregnancies. Stork buses park near college campuses, abortion clinics, shopping centers, and serve rural communities that lack medical care. Save the Storks is pleased to be the sponsor of the Ministry Watch podcast. For more information about our life-saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to savethestorks.com. That's savethestorks.com. Welcome back. I'm Christina Darnell, along with my co-host, Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. 
Warren, we like to use this last segment as a sort of lightning round of shorter news briefs. So what do you have for us first? Well, Christian ministries are once again proving that they are running toward disasters, not away from them, this time on the Caribbean island nation of St. Vincent, where a volcano has been erupting since April 9th. About 100,000 people live on the island, and churches and ministries have gone into action with meals, shelter, and other services for their neighbors there. Kingstown Baptist Church, a local church there, is producing hundreds of meals every day, food for the poor, the Southern Baptist Convention generally, uh, and others have also been operating there. And if you don't think this kind of work really makes a spiritual difference, then you should consider this story. The pastor of Kingstown Baptist Church, that church I mentioned at the top of the story, is Cecil Richards. Now, when he was a little boy in 1979, that's when the last volcano erupted. And he said he became a Christian because a Southern Baptist missionary worked to distribute clean water to residents just like him who had none at that time. Now, working with Southern Baptists and with others, he hopes to, what he says, pay forward that gesture. And these are uh, Cecil Richards' words, which I thought were particularly moving. Uh, This missionary, he said, spent his entire day day after day after day, delivering water to people. Sometimes the loudest sermon you preach is not from the pulpit. Sometimes the loudest sermon you preach is with a bucket of water in your hand. That's a great story. Warren, who do you have in the ministry spotlight this week? Well, I mentioned IJM as the largest one, so we took a deep dive into their financials and came up with the information in this week's ministry spotlight. If you're a donor or if you just want to know more about that organization, go to ministrywatch.com and you'll find that ministry spotlight right on the front page. And of course, we also have the ministries making a difference. Well, that's right. Your column, Christina, and you found some really nice items this week. Uh, Youth for Christ, Appalachia Reach Out, Mercy Chefs, and one of my favorites, Charlotte Rescue Mission. I've been down to the mission many times here in Charlotte to talk with the president there, Tony Marciano, and I've even had the honor to speak at some of their fundraising events. So I got to admit, I can't be an objective journalist on this one. I'm a fan. And I also want to mention that um, your Youth for Christ Christ brief included news of the retirement of Dan Walgamuth, the longtime president of Youth for Christ. He was the president there for 16 years and had served on the board before that. His father, Sam Walgamuth, had been the Youth for Christ president back in the 60s and 70s. So this family has a more than 50-year legacy with Youth for Christ. So we want to say congratulations to the Walgamuth family on finishing the job well. And also, blessings on Jacob Bland who now takes over as the new president. And by the way, some of our listeners may remember that Youth for Christ is where Billy Graham got his start in the early part of the 20th century as a traveling evangelist. Warren, before we go, we need to take care of a little news about us. So what do you have to share? Yeah, well, I like to report the news and not make the news, but over the last couple of weeks, we've been involved in a situation that I want to share with our listeners. On March 28th and March 30th, Ministry Watch published three stories about Canacook Ministries and related organizations. We received a letter from Canacook's attorneys on April the 5th 
demanding that we retract these stories within 10 days or that legal action will be taken. Now, Ministry Watch is committed to the highest standards of journalism. That means that when we make errors in our stories, we want to correct those errors. After doing a thorough review of these stories, we have concluded that certain aspects of those stories do require correction or clarification. However, we also believe that most of the concerns expressed by Canacook's attorneys are not concerns with errors in the stories, but with facts that they don't like. So we have made two corrections and one clarification to our stories, but we continue to believe that the stories are substantially accurate and true, and we will not be retracting those stories. If you'd like to read my full statement, which includes a link to the letter from Canacook's attorneys, you can do that by going to ministrywatch.com. And with that, we need to bring today's program to a close, Um, but any final thoughts before we go? Yeah, two quick notes, uh, Christina. Uh, You may have heard that Bernie Madoff died uh, this week here in North Carolina in prison. I devoted nearly a chapter to Bernie Madoff in my book, Faith-Based Fraud, and we've reprinted some of that material on our website this week. The article is called Mad About Madoff, and that story also includes links to Amazon, where you can buy the book itself. And finally, another book I wrote, or more accurately co-wrote with Marvin Olasky, is called Prodigal Press, Confronting the Anti-Christian Bias of the American News Media. That book is our gift to donors this month. We'll send it for a donation of any size to Ministry Watch. So just go to ministrywatch.com and hit the donate button at the top of the page. The producers for today's program are Rich Rosel and Steve Gandy. We get database and other technical support from Kathy Goddard, Stephen DuBerry, and Casey Suddeth. Writers who contributed to today's program include Rod Pitzer, Jack Jenkins, Adele Banks, Ann Stike, Emily Miller, Roxanne Stone, Alejandra Molina, Gil Zohar, and Shannon Cuthrell. Thanks to our friends at Religion Unplugged for contributing material to this week's program. I'm Christina Darnell, in for Natasha Smith in Charlotte, North Carolina. And I'm Warren Smith, also coming to you from Charlotte, North Carolina. And you've been listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Until next time, may God bless you. you.